We're glad you're here with us today. I love springtime. I love the warming weather, the flowers, the trees budding, and that promise of new life. I even love a spring thunderstorm from time to time. There's something about this time of year that really signals the hope of a coming season. There's this expectation in the air that things are going to be better. Now, we're just one week away from Easter. I want to invite you to join us in person next week. We have three services happening at both of our campuses. One at 5 p.m. on Saturday, April 3rd, and our regular 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. services on Sunday. We are cleaning, people are wearing masks, and we're keeping safe distance, and we want to see you there. Please go to our website to register yourself and your family for one of our Easter services. There's no grow zone for kids on Saturday, so if you and your family are not taking advantage of that awesome ministry, please consider attending on Saturday. This will leave room for those families who do want to take advantage of our children's ministry. Additionally, we want you to do two things. One, sign up to serve in one of our weekend ministries. You can help make the Easter celebration memorable for everyone who attends and invite someone to come with you. This is an opportune moment to extend that invitation to someone you know. Take the chance, expand your circles of impact. We've been praying for each of you who will join us on Easter, and we're looking forward to celebrating with you next week. Since we are one week out from Easter, that means today is Palm Sunday. For many of you who grew up in church like me, you probably have fond memories of all the kids waving palm branches and singing, Hosanna! However, I'm sure there's some of you watching who don't know the reason behind this day. So I wanted to take some time today to give you a little context. Now we're going to be spending a lot of time in John chapter 12. Now here's what it says starting in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, setting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So here's what happened. A little while before this, Jesus' friend Lazarus, he died. And a man named John, and this is who wrote this book of the Bible, tells us that Jesus actually raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, people had heard about this. I mean, if you heard a story about someone raising another person from the dead, you're going to be pretty amazed. This is how these people felt. They were beginning to believe that Jesus really was who he said he was, the Son of God. And so as a result of this, they get excited and they hear he's heading to Jerusalem. Well, why are they so excited? Now for this, you've got to look at the history of the Hebrew nation. All the way back to Abraham, there had been this promise to these people that they would be the chosen, that they would be the beloved nation of God. But things never really seemed to work out the way they hoped. 
They had struggled for hundreds of years with occupation and slavery and beatings and death and pain and, and just defeat. Each time things would look, look up for them, they would turn away from God and rely too much on their own strength and, and it would just all fall apart. So God promised to them that he would send a king, someone to reign. Here's what God told the prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall seek, speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from the sea to the sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. This was the promise that these people knew. And they were waiting for a Messiah, which is just a fancy word for a Savior. They were expecting that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem and take the throne. He would become the conquering king whom they'd expected all along. Now, have you ever had an expectation of something and it turned out to be different when you got it? Now, in the current environment, I've been doing a ton of shopping online. I mean, Amazon is amazing. But there are times when I order something from these places and when it shows up, I'm let down. I mean, this happens regularly with clothes or shoes. They're just never quite as nice as they look on the screen. Sometimes reality is different than our expectations. I mean, once when Sam was a little boy and we were at the beach, we wanted to take this iconic, happy family picture. Take a look at this. Well, we tried to make the same thing happen, and here's what we got. Now, it's not quite the same thing. This was how the Jewish people were feeling. They had expectations of this coming king. And sometimes, though, our expectations of what God should do are different than the plan he has for each of us. And that's today's big idea, which is God's plan is greater than our expectations. I mean, just look at the animal he chose to ride into the city. Instead of choosing a horse, which would have been fitting for a king, he chose a donkey, a lowly farm animal, which really showed the humility of Jesus. I mean, this was to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah, but it was also clearly showing that Jesus was not coming in to fight, but he was coming to make peace. However, at this moment, the people, they're still seeing him as this conquering king. So they take palm branches off the trees to wave for him as he enters the city. Now, some of you may have wondered, like me, why the palm branches? Well, palms were actually a symbol of Jewish nationalism for hundreds of years. If Jesus were riding into Washington, D.C. today, this would be like a large crowd of people waving American flags as he entered into the city. You see, they saw him as a political and national savior. And the people are saying, Hosanna. And Hosanna literally means save now. They are asking Jesus to save them. They want to be brought into full life. And they are thinking this is the moment where Jesus will reign and bring about that life they thought they would receive. They looked at scriptures and they thought this meant what Jesus was going to conquer. Of course, Jesus knew that wasn't the case. And that in a few days, he was going to face his death. He knew that he was not going to meet their expectations. Ironically, some of those people that he'd be looking at would be the same people cursing and spitting on him in just a few short days. But at this point, they were waiting for God to give them the life they wanted. Think about how the Israelite people are feeling right now. 
They're dealing with a corrupt government who's occupying their lands and making decisions that are not benefiting them. Their religious leaders are people who are in charge and they're not looking out for their best interests of anybody else but themselves. They're saying serve God, but they're doing things that were clearly only for their own good. And even more, these Hebrew people were dealing with an unsatisfied feeling in their lives. Does any of that feel familiar to you? There could be many people out there who are saying the same thing about the world we live in now. Maybe many of you feel unsatisfied and you're waiting for Jesus to give you what you think will bring you full life. Maybe you've been saying that if you could just get the right job or do that thing, then you would be happy. Your life would be full only if you had the right career. Maybe more money equals fuller life for you. If only you could have less debt or more stuff or a bigger house or a nicer car, then you'd be able to better connect with God. Maybe you've placed your identity in your ability to be a good dad or a mom. If you could just raise nice, friendly, and caring children, then you would have full life. Maybe you're looking at others who are married, and you think if you could just find someone to love, then you would feel full inside. I mean, you could be married, and you're thinking that if you could just be a better husband or wife, then you would have a better life. Maybe you're looking to those relationships you have in your life to fill you. You might be saying, if only I could be the right group of people or make some new friends, then I'd feel good about my life. Listen, Jesus was entering the city of Jerusalem with a mission, and it was not the one that these people expected. Remember, God's plan is greater than our expectations. And what was God's plan? Jesus told them before, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. He wanted people to be connected to God in full life, and he knew that there was a price that needed to be paid. So Jesus is now in Jerusalem, and, and he's meeting with many different people, and we see this interaction he has with some of his followers. Here's what he says. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We get this glimpse of the real plan of God. All along, people have been expecting Jesus to conquer and give them their version of full life. They've been waiting for this word that Jesus would give them to tell them how to find life. And what does he say? Hey, you got to hate your life. Imagine you're the disciples and the people hearing this right now. They're confused. They're thinking, what are you talking about? We just rode in this city and all these people are worshiping you and we're in charge. What do you mean we have to hate our life? Now Mark, who was another writer who wrote about Jesus' life, also captured this interaction and here's how he wrote it. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. To save your life, you have to lose your life. Not really a logical statement if you think about it, but it's one that Jesus makes. They were expecting more. God's plan is greater than our expectations. And what does Jesus mean when he says this? What Jesus is trying to teach the disciples is that if we cling to this world, if we hold on to the things that this world will tell us make us happy, 
the dreams, goals, and plans of what popular opinion or society tells us will give us life, then we're going to lose our eternal life. We lose the chance to rely on God, to find our identity, not in what people see in us or what labels that we give ourselves, but in the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. We lose that if we put our hope in this world. In this response, Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The grain of wheat is important because it shows us that unless this wheat dies, it cannot create more life. It would sit alone, but when it dies and falls to the ground and then goes into the soil, then it creates new life and more wheat. He's telling us that for us to be fruitful and be able to really spread the story of God's love, we need to die to this world. Jesus is saying full life starts with death. And we just finished a series talking about these believers who came after Jesus and all of them understood this idea. They knew that if they wanted to have rich, abundant, and mission-driven lives, they needed to give up the desires, titles, and promises of this world so they could be effective. For them to expand their circles of impact, they needed to be different from the world around them. And what is it that you need to give up in this life so that you can be on the path to full life and being deployed for the mission of Jesus? Now, when we say deployed for mission, we're talking about the calling God has put on all our lives to go out and share the good news of Jesus. Is it the adoration of people in your life? You might be so overwhelmed with making everyone like you that you can't fathom the idea of pushing boundaries or sharing the truth of Jesus' love. Maybe it's the love of money that has you distracted from your mission. You keep making decisions based on how much money it will get you. You might be so obsessed with finding justice in this world that you will attach your name to any cause that comes up. But when it comes to the most important mission, sharing the love of Jesus, you don't take that chance because it conflicts with another worldly cause. Maybe you need to give up this constant need to be better than everyone else. I mean, you're regularly comparing yourself to your neighbor or your friends or your family. You keep working to try to be the best person you can be while forgetting that God is only looking for you to be his son or daughter. You see, for God, these are not the things that he believes will fill your life. He knew his son was the true bread of life. And when Jesus said this statement, he also knew that the grain of wheat was even more fitting to use when he talked about his mission. In a few days, Jesus would sit at the table, take a loaf of bread and say to his disciples, This is my body, which is given for you. This is why Jesus chooses to use the example of a grain of wheat. See, wheat's got to go through a process to become life-giving bread. It has to die. Jesus had to choose to die. It has to be cut down. Jesus had to be cut off from his Father to die for our sins. It must be threshed or gathered, this violent process. And this is what Jesus felt in his treatment. It's got to be ground up. Jesus was bruised for our sins. It has to be baked. Jesus was put through the punishment for our sins and bread has to be eaten. We have to choose to accept this gift of life. You see, for the disciples sitting in this room, they didn't realize that Jesus would soon really be gone. They'd come from this amazing experience just days earlier and now he was telling them it was time to go. They had their expectations, but remember, God's plan is greater than our expectations. You see, Jesus had to die. Why? 
because of sin, because of your sin, because of my sin, because of all the sin that was plaguing the world. Now we talk about that a lot, but what does it really mean? This was the start of something. From the very beginning, when the first sin occurred, God knew the plan. He knew there must be a sacrifice. For mankind, there was this expectation that this was something we could do to take away the sin. Maybe we just live the best life possible and just try to follow the rules that God gave us and we can outsmart sin. We can work hard enough. Maybe we can pray long enough. We can take a burnt offering before God and that would be enough to make amends for all the things we've done. I mean, these were all the things that the religious leaders of the time were trying to sell. But we sit here and we think, well, of course that's not true. But do we live that out? I mean, think about it. Today, you might be watching and you're thinking to yourself that if I can just be good enough or I can try harder, then maybe I won't mess it up. Maybe I can give more of my time and my money to charity. Maybe if I can just pray the right prayer. I can put on the best possible face and look like I have my whole life put together, then I'll be happy and live a full life. This is our expectation, but remember, God's plan is greater than our expectation. What is it in your life that you need to die to to allow you to live out the plan God has for you? Popularity, money, success, romance, pride? See, Jesus knew the sacrifice he had to make, and he knew it when he rode into the city and that those people were waving those branches and singing Hosanna. He looked into many of those same eyes twice that week, and the second time, they looked at him with hate. He didn't meet their expectations, and as a result, they were going to kill him. He knew that sin could not be defeated with the willpower of man or the result of a good life. Instead, he knew that he was the ultimate sacrifice that needed to be offered. And on that day, he did this with full expectation that he was bringing his Father's plan into fruition. Jesus knew that we all need to be on the path to full life. And Jesus knew that full life starts with death. And that death that started it all was his own. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, 
Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit.